All right, well, last week we began a new series called The Resurrected King, and we're looking at the rejection, uh, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we saw the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, rejected by mankind, both Jew and Gentile. We saw both um, Pilate and the religious leaders of the Jews, both having a hand in Jesus' execution. We, we saw a crowd uh, that some of which had been chanting Hosanna the week before, now chanting crucify him. Now, there were a lot of different people uh, mixed up into those crowds. Crowds had come in from different places. This was during the Passover season. Lots of people were coming into Jerusalem during this time. This week, where we pick up, pick up at the end of Matthew 27, uh, we're, we're going to see that Jesus has been beaten. He's been mocked, and he's now being led to the cross. Today, we're going to look at his crucifixion and his death and what significance that has for us today. You know, it's amazing when you think about it. The Christianity teaches the truth that Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, King of all kings, was crucified. That the most important person in the history of the world, that the most powerful person, that the most worthy person, that the most supreme person, that that God the Son was, was crucified, died on a cross. As we've mentioned earlier, today's Palm Sunday, marking the beginning of the Passion Week. It was on this day, as we know, that Jesus rode into town on a donkey, nonetheless, uh, to begin that Passion Week as he rode into Jerusalem. And just the fact that he was celebrated that day as a king as he rode in on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy that had come years before, that in and of itself was a stark reminder For them in that day and for us today, that King Jesus is a different kind of king. Think about it for a second. When when the president comes to town, there's Air Force One, there's the limo, there's there's all the security measures and the caravan. Think about a king in a foreign land and the red carpet being rolled out as people bow before the king or kiss the hand of the king. And all this stuff symbolizing symbolizing the, the power and the prestige of that position. Then think about the Son of God for a moment, riding into what was the capital city of God's people at that time, on a donkey. On a donkey. No Air Force One, no, no, grand, uh, no, no, no grand way to present himself, but literally riding in on a donkey, showing that he had come to humbly serve, pointing to the fact that ultimately he had come to lay down his life for sinners. He's a unique king. There's no king like King Jesus. And today, as we look at the cross and its significance, we're going to see how his his death occurred and why he died and what was happening on the cross and why it's so significant today. And I want to give you some things today to help you understand some truths to help you understand about Jesus' death and what it means for you today that we can apply and that hopefully uh, will be life-transforming for many of us today. So look with me, starting in Matthew 27. We're going to make our way through this text, and I'm going to give you our observations, our takeaways as we go. So starting in verse 32 of Matthew 27, it says, As they went out, they found a man of serene Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Let's pause for a second. Jesus here has been beaten so badly, he could no longer carry his own cross, his own cross beam, um, to the place of his execution. 
So this man named Simon is compelled to carry his cross. And the wine you see they offer Jesus here was mixed with gall, it says, which can mean a couple of things. It was something that was used to embitter it, but it was a drug. And and some believe that it could have even been poisonous. Um, But most likely it was something that was used to to numb pain and to even uh, to take the person out of a lucid state. Uh, Jesus here refuses it because he's choosing to be fully aware of the cross and its horrors. He's being fully aware of what he's doing. He is a willing sacrifice here going to the cross. He wanted to be fully aware that he was going to do what he was going to do, which was, as we're going to see, to bear our sin. So look at verse 35. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. It's Paul's there. So here we see they gamble for Jesus' clothes. They, They mock him. They deride Jesus, fulfilling messianic prophecy from psalm 22 uh, they crucify him between two criminals fulfilling messianic prophecy from isaiah fifty-three twelve. but this scene here in these verses remind us of something very important about jesus's death that is our first takeaway this morning and that's this number one jesus's death was scandalous it's, it's scandalous notice all the mocking save yourself if you're the son of god come down from the cross The religious leaders. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe. And even mocking him this way. He trusts in God. Let let God deliver him then. See, it it was unconscionable to these people that the son of God would die on a cross. To these people, especially the religious leaders, the very fact that Jesus is on the cross was to them evidence that he was not the son of God. And for them, all the more reason to mock him for claiming to be who he was. In fact, the law states that any man who is hung on a tree is cursed. Now, we find out in the New Testament, obviously, that he was bearing our curse <laughs> so that we might go free. You see, they mocked him. They, they, they tormented him because to them, it, would, it was absolutely scandalous to think that the Son of God would ever die on a cross, even saying, He trusts God. Let God deliver him. You know, but the the truth is, Jesus stayed on the cross because he trusted God. Because he trusted God. In fact, this is part of the Messianic prophecy in Psalm 22, 7. It says, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. See, Psalm 22 comes up again and again in Matthew 27. Because this scene is the fulfillment of that prophecy. You know, one, one scholar pointed out how they, how they sound like Satan when Satan tempted Jesus in the garden when you listen to the things they're saying. You, or excuse me, in the desert. You might remember before Jesus' ministry, he was led out into the desert and, was, and, and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was, he was tempted by Satan. 
And Satan would think, say things to him like this. If you are the son of God, then, and he would tempt him. And here they're saying, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. This scholar called it Jesus' last great temptation, to come down from the cross rather than fulfilling his purpose. But, but he rejected that. He, he went through with his purpose. But see, the cross was a scandalous way for anyone to die. That's why they're mock- one of the reasons they're mocking him the way they are. It was the most heinous form of death. You know, usually it's victims died from actual from suffocation, from not being able to breathe. Their, their feet and their wrists were nailed to the wooden platform. They would need to then push up in excruciating pain to be able to breathe. And at some point, they would no longer be able to do that, and they would just not be able to go on, and they would suffocate, and they would die. Now, Jesus, of course, had already been beaten nearly to death. And now he's nailed to the cross to hang and to die. And this form of torturous death was reserved for the worst of criminals, just the worst of the worst. Because you not only lost your life, you suffered unbearable pain. And you not only lost your life and suffered unbearable pain, you were humiliated. You were labeled as the lowest of the low. You were mocked. It was a public display of just running your name, your reputation, your life just into the dirt as much as they could. It, It was reserved for the worst of criminals. And so they think, how can this man claim to be the son of God while he hangs on a cross? Oh, if you're the son of God, they say, mocking, come down from the cross. Yet, Jesus did not come down from the cross. Rather, he stayed there willingly. In fact, the great irony of the passage is Jesus stayed there precisely because he is the son of God. That's, in fact, why he came. Notice, they could not deny Jesus had saved people. They say he saved others, but he can't save himself. They knew he had done great miracles, but what they didn't realize was his greatest act, his his greatest miracle, his greatest saving act could not happen if he didn't die, if he didn't go to the cross and then take up his life again so that he could save sinners, the, the greatest miracle that Jesus does. To them, it was scandalous that, that anyone would die that way. And that anyone claiming to be God's son would end up on a cross was unfathomable. No way that God's son would be crucified. But the great scandal is that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the son of God. And that he chose to go to the cross and to stay on the cross that he might save sinners. What is scandalous here is that an innocent man is going to willingly die on a cross to save guilty, sinful people. They thought it scandalous that Jesus would claim to be the Son of God and end up on a cross. But the great scandal is that the Son of God willingly went there for you and for me. That's the incredible scandal of God's grace. Look with me at verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and and put it on a red reed, excuse me, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Verse 49. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Here we learned the second thing that I want us to understand about Jesus' death. Not only was it, was it scandalous, but Jesus' death was, was sacrificial. See, something supernatural occurs here. Total darkness from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Why? Well, darkness in the Bible represents lament. It, it represents the wrath of God and judgment of a holy God. In Joel, 
in the Old Testament, in Joel chapter 2, the great day of the Lord, the day the Lord comes to judge the world, it is prophesied there in Joel 2, it speaks of a great darkness on that day, a day of darkness and gloom. So you've got darkness associated with God's judgment. Now, in one sense, scholars point out that this is a sign of God's displeasure with mankind for crucifying his son. It's true. Here's the son of God. The one whom all things were made through and made for being crucified and rejected and killed. The total darkness makes perfect sense. It was an incredibly dark time, the darkest time in the history of humanity. But also, it reminds us of what was happening on the cross because someone was being judged. Jesus. He was bearing our judgment. The cross is significant because of the spiritual reality of what took place there. Jesus bearing our sin, dying in our place as a sacrifice for sinners, bearing the judgment of God for you and I. Warren Wiersbe writes this so well. He says, and I quote, It was God's way of veiling the cross while his son bore the sins of the world and tasted the wrath of God for humankind. The mystery of God the Father, forsaking his only begotten Son, is too deep for us to fathom and understand. See, we need to understand, yes, the the world is a spiritually dark place. It it was never more clearly manifested this than when we... Mankind rejected the Son of God. We, we also need to understand that, that Jesus came into this dark world to die for sinners and to bear the darkness of God's judgment for us. The light of the world here bears our sin in the darkness. The judgment of God falls on God's own Son for you and I. That's what's happening on the cross. And an interesting thing when you study the Gospels is that the writers don't spend a lot of time on intense detail of Jesus' physical suffering. Yes, they let us know about it. Yes, they let us know he was mocked, that he was beaten, that they put a crown of thorns on him, that they spit on him, that they crucified him. They they let us know these things, but they don't spend a lot of time diving into deep detail of all the physical excruciating pain Jesus went through, although it's very much a reality. And that's not to diminish that. The physical pain Jesus endured on the cross was horrific. However, the focus here of Matthew and of the gospel writers in general is to point out what's happening on the cross, the deepest suffering that's taking place, the most painful hurt that is taking place is that Jesus Christ is bearing our sin and that he is bearing the punishment for that sin. He is bearing the wrath of God for us. So he cries out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why this cry? What's happening? Well, it's, it's from Psalm 22 again. It's a cry of spiritual anguish. Jesus is bearing the sin of the world. God, being just and holy, must punish sinners. We know that, right? He's, we've departed from his design. We've, we've went our own way. We've rebelled against God's rules. We've all sinned, but God's holy and God's just, and he must punish sinners. And the, the glory... The glorious grace of the gospel is that Jesus steps in and bears that punishment for us. He is punished for our sin, bears our sin for us, pays our sin debt so that we can go free and be forgiven. That's what's happening here when Jesus is crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 59.2 says this about the human condition. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. See, sin causes God to to hide his face. And what we see here is Jesus is bearing our sins. So what's happening? God is hiding his face. 
Psalm 22 goes on to speak of God's intervention. Jesus knew he would die, but he knew that would not be the end. He knew he would rise again. He foretold that that would happen. But here in this moment, he's bearing God's judgment for us. He's bearing our sin. You know, one of my favorite hymns is the old hymn, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. It was written by Charles Gabriel. And here are some of the words of that hymn. He says, He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. That's what we're seeing happening here. That's why he penned those words, alone. Jesus here dies alone for our sin. Understand, this is shocking. This is heartbreaking. This is earth-shattering news of the cross. Not simply that Jesus was beaten. Not simply that Jesus was crucified. But that on the cross, he bore our sin. He bore the wrath of a holy God for our sin. That's why he cries out in this way. Listen, they beat him and he said not a word. They crucified him and he asked that God would forgive him but here he's bearing our sin the earth has grown dark and he cries out in anguish my god my god why have you forsaken me because this is the moment this is the time that he had sweated drops of blood over in the garden have you read that in the gospels that when jesus is alone in the garden in the hours preceding his arrest he's praying and he begins to sweat drops of blood as he prays for this cup to pass from him unless it's the will of god He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will, God. Because he knew he was going to the cross to drink the cup. He was going to bear our sin and drink the cup of God's wrath for us and satisfy it so that we can be forgiven. My God, my God, he cries out, why have you forsaken me? Tim Keller points out in his book, The King's Cross, that the longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of its loss. It's true, right? We know that about human nature. That the greater the love, the deeper the love, the longer the love, the greater the torment of its loss. And here, here Jesus crying out, you have to remember this is the second person of the Trinity. This is God the Son. This is the eternal Son of God. You might remember in Jesus' baptism when he began his ministry, A voice came from heaven. It was the voice of the Father. And this is what the Father said when his son was baptized. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, Jesus, as the eternal son of God, had never known anything, anything but the favor of God. Perfect community with God. Perfect relationship with his Father. His very identity as the beloved son of God meant that the love and favor of God was always upon him. He had never experienced anything other than this this favor. But here in this moment, in some way, he bears our sin and was forsaken for us that we may be forgiven. He, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, talking about God, made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our account that we might become the righteousness of God. So the darkness here, the cry of anguish, these point out the spirit in the, that in the spiritual realm, what's happening is that Jesus on that cross is sacrificially laying his life down for us, bearing our sin, satisfying God's just and holy wrath. And notice he cries with a loud voice, and it says he yielded up his spirit. Yielded up his spirit. Because he's in complete control. His life's not taken from him. He lays his life down because he is a willing sacrifice. 
He's, he's willing to go to the cross for you and for I to redeem a people for the glory of God. Verse 51 is where we pick up next. It says, and behold, after this happened, after he cries out, after he gives up his spirit, it says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. I really want to focus here on verse 51. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This teaches us something very important. Number three, Jesus' death was sufficient. It was sufficient. That curtain being torn is a supernatural work of God. There are two curtains in the temple. Or well, there were two curtains in the temple. This is this curtain that is being torn, it says from top to bottom, bottom signifying that this is an act of God, right? It, th- this curtain separated the holy place from the, most, the, from the holy of holies, is what most people believe. That this was the curtain separating what was termed the holy place from the holy of holies. In other words, this is the curtain that kept people out. <laughs> It symbolized the separation between man and between God. In fact, only the high priest could go behind the curtain and then only once a year to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. This curtain was a reminder that our sins separate us from God, just like, just like the passage in Isaiah tells us that they do. Uh, that access to God is hindered by our sin. It creates a barrier between us and a holy God. And when Jesus dies, God tears that curtain from top to bottom. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's natural. Think about it. When you see a curtain like that, Hiding something like that. What's human nature? You want to see behind the curtain, right? Uh, I, I remember um, as a kid, there was this, uh, there, the, the little pizza places um, uh, called Chuck E. Cheese, right? And we'd go to those little places and, you know, you'd get back then, you'd get your report card. And if you had enough A's and B's, you got free tokens to go play at Chuck E. Cheese. But while you ate your pizza, there was a show and there was a big curtain and the curtain would open up and all these animatronic um, uh, robots uh, would come out and would sing and play the piano and play the guitar and the big mouse and all this kind of stuff. And then the curtain would close again. And as a kid, you're thinking, What's happening behind the curtain when it's closed, right? You, you want to know what's, what's going, are they still moving? What, what's going on behind there? Maybe you've been to a Broadway play and, and you've watched uh, the play taking place and before the curtain, you're kind of wondering, man, what's going on behind that curtain? What, they, what, are they, what is it that they don't want us to see, right? That's, what it, that's the question, right? What is it that they don't want to see? Why, why do we have to be kept out? That's human nature. The great line from Wizard of Oz, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But how can you not pay attention to the man behind the curtain? How can you not want to know? It's human nature. Well, imagine for a second, growing up in this environment with the temple, huge, thick curtain, almost like a wall. It was so large and so heavy, and it has separated the people from the presence of God. Imagine how people wondered and the curiosity 
the conversations that they had. And now on this day when the Son of God, when Jesus Christ is crucified, everybody finds out it has been ripped from top to bottom. It has been torn. And this shouts to us from the heavens of the sufficiency of Christ's death. It tells us that the sacrificial system is, is gone. It's been, all that's been fulfilled. It, it, it's over. The last sacrifice has been made. We don't need to go to a temple and offer an animal so that we can, you know, so for, for the atonement of our sins. That the, the ultimate lamb of God, has, has the ultimate Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus laying his life down for us is the final sacrifice, is the one that all the others was pointing to. And his death is sufficient to cleanse us of our sins. And the way to God is now wide open through Jesus. Yes, you can only get to God through Jesus. It's an exclusive way. But it's very inclusive in that God invites everyone, whosoever will may come. Hebrews 10, verses 19 and 20 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Jesus is, he's the, he's the, he's the new and better high priest. He's, he's the new and better temple. Jesus' death was sufficient to pay for our sins and only Jesus' death is sufficient, sufficient to pay for our sins. Only Jesus has broken down the barrier between God and man so that we can have fellowship with God and relationship with God, forgiveness from God, and experience the favor of God. Only Jesus is sufficient. Only his death is sufficient. And notice all the supernatural events taking place. An earthquake, cosmic event, earth-shaking. The Son of God has died to redeem sinners. The, the, The very foundations of the earth are shaking. Notice what else? Tombs were opened. What in the world is going on? People getting up, walking around. People that were dead, they're now alive. Can you imagine being around in those days and seeing people who had died? It says here that after he rose from the dead, not only were the tombs empty, people began to walk around. And by the way, the very mentioning here by Matthew of Jesus' resurrection, before we even get to his resurrection in Matthew 28, reminds us that his death was not forever, that he would rise again, proving that his death was sufficient. The check, that, the, pay, the check, so to speak, the payment for our sins did not bounce. The righteous requirements of the law had been fulfilled. When Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross, it truly was finished. And the resurrection proves all that. His death was sufficient. But many believe that this resurrection of, of all these folks that were dead of all these people who experienced, many believe that those that experienced this resurrection, that they experienced a resurrection like the one that believers will experience one day when after we have died, when our spirit and our body, when Jesus returns, are united and we go and we get that glorified body and we spend eternity with Jesus forever, right? And so many believe that that's what's happening here. It's kind of a foretaste of that. In other words, that they are not people who were resurrected like Lazarus who went on to die again. But that they are people that maybe after Jesus ascended to heaven, that they went on to heaven too. Many commentators believe that. And it's a reminder for us of the life-changing power of the gospel. That the death and resurrection of Jesus has made it so that you and I can literally, spiritually be made alive. That when you put your faith in Christ, you experience spiritual resurrection. You go from death to life. It begins now in this life. We get abundant and eternal life. And that one day we will live with God forever. We have life in Jesus' name because of his death and his resurrection. 
And truly, as the centurion says here, he's the son of God. He's the son of God. The way he died, the significance of it, the impact of it prove that he's the son of God. And only his death is the perfect sacrifice. Only his death is sufficient. And yes, it was scandalous. It was scandalous that the son of God would die in the place of sinners like you and I. Scandalous, amazing grace. Grace, God's grace. Let me ask you. This Palm Sunday, has the death of Christ been applied to your account? The, the tearing of the veil of the temple is a reminder that no amount of religious activity, no amount of exercising piety, no, no amount of, of spiritual ritualism that you can go through can, can take care of the sin barrier between you and God. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can, can make it possible for you to access a relationship with God. Only by trusting in Christ and believing he bore our sin and paid our debt and rose again can we be saved. So my question for you, first of all, is just, have you been? Have you been reconciled to God through Christ? Have you, as we say, have you been saved? Have you been forgiven? Do you, have you been given new life in Christ? Have you turned away from your sin and, and trusted Christ? Have you experienced this conversion Has your life been shaken at the very core, just as the earth was that day, as you've trusted in the Lord Jesus? And believer, don't believe the lie today, the the lie that Satan would want to sell you, that you need to do something today to earn God's favor. Don't believe the lie that it is something you do today that determines how God's going to feel about you today or tomorrow, or how committed he's going to be to you. Don't believe that lie. Only Jesus' death was sufficient to bridge the gap, to remove the barrier between you and God, and that has not changed. Do not functionally trust in your performance today to earn God's favor. You have God's favor through Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. Give thanks today for the price that He paid for you, that you have a King who, yes, as they say, the Lord saves. He does save. He saves because He laid down His life for you, took it up again. Rejoice, give thanks, shout Hosanna today. Be faithful to tell our friends and family today. And yes, it's scandalous, but it's, it's the only sacrifice that is sufficient to take away our sin and make it possible for us to know the favor of God, and to, to know Him personally. It's, it's not just good news. It, it's the best news in all the world. If you need to make a decision today, if you've never trusted Christ, we encourage you to do that, even there in your home, that you would... That you would just bow your head, close your eyes, and pray. It's, it's not so much about the words or the formality. It's about trusting Christ. If you will turn away from your sin, repent is the biblical word. If you'll turn away from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ, believe that he's the, son of, the sinless son of God that died in your place and rose again, God will, God will save you today if you'll trust him. If you'll call out to him and ask him to forgive you, to wipe your slate clean, tell him you're putting your faith in him. And if you do that, we'd love for you to email us at info at gonorthpart.com and let us know. Or if you're watching in the gonorthpart.online.church portal, you can actually click the decision card, the connection card right there in the top corner and let us know. Or if you just have questions, we, we want to begin that conversation with you and be praying for you in these days. I want to pray for us today, and then we're going to have a few announcements before we, get, before we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God and for this incredible story of how the Son of God came, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. Yes, he died, and yes, it was scandalous, but Lord, it's for us. He did it in our place. He, he bore what we deserved. 
He took our sin. He paid for our sin. And Lord, we, we thank you. And we thank you that you did not abandon him there, but he has risen from the dead and that he is alive. And, and we're going to celebrate that on Easter Sunday. And we look forward to that. And, and Lord, we thank you that we can be united with him in his death and resurrection through faith in him. And I pray for anyone today who's never turned away from sin to Jesus, that even right there in their home, Lord, that they would turn to you now. And I pray for every believer to rest in Christ today and the favor with you that we have through him. And that we would be faithful in this Easter season to share this good news with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we go, I know next Sunday is going to look a lot different than what we anticipated it looking some weeks and months ago. We're unable to safely meet in the month of April due to the coronavirus. And you'll be provided, though, another online opportunity like this one on Easter. And I want to encourage you to worship with your family in your home on Easter. Tune into the message and the music. Share and invite. You know, you can't invite people to come gather with us in the church, but you can invite them to watch. You can host a Facebook watch party and invite them to watch there. This can still be an evangelistic opportunity for your friends, for your neighbors, for your coworkers. If you'll email them, if you'll text them, if you'll call them, if you'll FaceTime them and let them know, hey, I want you to watch this with me. It's the greatest news in all the world as we talk about the glorious resurrection of Jesus and what response that should evoke from us next week. So let's together help people, partner together over the course of this week to invite and to let people know and to help people trust and follow Christ by getting the gospel into as many homes as possible on next Sunday. Once again, if you are a North Park member or you've been blessed through this online service in some way, we encourage you to give at gonorthpark.com. Uh, there will be a giving link right there that you can click on. It will walk you all the way through how you can continue to engage uh, in our mission through giving during this time. And we thank you for doing so. Church, we love you. We want you to be wise and be gracious in these days uh, towards your neighbors and those around you. And, and we want you to join us again next Sunday on Easter Sunday. But until then, let me say this. May God be gracious to you and bless you and make his face shine upon you that his way may be known on earth his saving power among all nations hope to see you back here